I want you to turn with me to Luke 4. Okay, begin with me in Luke 4.14. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. I want you to highlight in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And was, as his custom, he entered the synagogue on a Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recover the sight of the blind, to set, those who are, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Now I want to set up for you very quickly where Jesus has just been. Jesus has been um, baptized, and up until this point he has not performed one miracle. I think that's important that you know that. And then the minute he was baptized, when he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit um, came down on him like a dove. For those girls here last night that you were saved, it's important you get baptized. There's power with the baptism. So we've, we've got to do some baptism. And, and I don't know how you feel, but we could do it up here if you want. I mean, that's, the, you know, if you want to go home and do it with your family, that's good too. But we can certainly baptize you. It might be chilly, but we can do it. Okay? So, uh, <laughs> uh, we can ask them, where can we baptize them? I mean, that lake looks good down there. It looks cold, you know? <laughs> so anyway, Jesus comes out. And he has not performed one miracle. And when he comes out, the Holy Spirit takes him to the wilderness to do what? Why? To be tested. Now, the thing is, Jesus was only needed to be tested for 40 days. He didn't take, you know, those 60 years that Abraham did. So which do you want to be? 40 <laughs> days or 60 years, okay? Just a little point there that the Holy Spirit just brought to my mind. Okay, so anyway... Um, the crowds are loving him. He is getting such favor with the crowds. And they are thinking, he is a king. He is the one that's going to save us from this Roman Empire. And Oh man, they are, they're shouting their war cries for him. So they do, they hand him, because they think he's this great teacher, that's how they're seeing him, they hand him the scroll of Isaiah. And Jesus goes to the place where he wants to read. He picks out that particular verse that, you know, the, the um, Spirit of the Lord is upon him. And they're all good with that because they're used to reading Isaiah. But then, verse 21, he says this, And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, all of a sudden, there is anger, there is frustration, there is, oh my gosh, who does this guy think he is? Does he think he's God? I mean, the people became so enraged. They were like, how dare you come tell us that you're the one that came to set the captives free, open the eyes of the blind, and to um, deliver the captives. How dare you say that? And they took him out, and we'll say at the end here in verse um, 27, um, or I'm sorry, in verse 29, 28, and all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. 
but passing through their midst, he went away. I want you to highlight that verse 30. <coughs> and passing through their midst, he went away. You see, he kept asking the question, who is this Jesus? And then when he answered it, they were furious with him. You guys, sometimes that's how we are. It's like we want Jesus, we want more of him, and then when he comes, we're like, no, 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 don't, no, 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 stop. That's kind of how it is with us. But Jesus today is going to um, share with us more about who he is. He is the one who came to open your eyes, set the captives free. But he's going to share it with us today uh, through physics. Now, how many of you have passed physics? How many of you took physics? Okay, well, I didn't. So we're, we're going to be in good shape here. But Jesus came, and he's going to tell us today through the scriptures who he is from physics. Well, I want you to, um, I want to give you a quote from one of the greatest Jewish physicists or scientists that ever lived. It was Albert Einstein. And he said, science without religion is lame. And religion without science is blind. God shows us through science, people, what is going on in the physical as well as the spiritual. Would you guys like me to quote his quote one more time? I think it's profound. Science without religion is lame. Science without religion is lame. And religion without science is blind. So what Jesus is getting ready to show us today is that he's going to show us what often is going on in our physical is going on in the spiritual. In fact, today, we are going to do some quantum leaping. Now, how much of you know what quantum leaping is? Did you guys grow up watching the show Quantum Leaping? Okay, so if you don't know what quantum leaping is, it would be as if I'm standing here and I'm talking to you guys, and then all of a sudden, man, like that, I find myself sitting at my kitchen table. That's quantum leaping, all right? Now, I'm not going to teach you something that's not spiritual or not in this word. So we've got to decide, is this biblical, this quantum leaping thing? So if we turn to, and I don't really want you to turn here. I'm just going to tell you this story. 1 Kings 18, 7 through 12. You can write that down in your book. 1 Kings 18, 7 through 12. We've got the prophet Elijah. And there's a king, Ahab, that can't stand him. And the reason he can't stand in it is because he is a mighty prophet of God, and he's, he's doing havoc with his kingdom, okay? So he has sent out his men to look for Elijah, and the men will find Elijah, then they'll go get the king, and they'll come back, and Elijah will be gone. He won't be anywhere in sight. And so there's this man named Obadiah, and Obadiah it loves the Lord. He, um, he, he worships the Lord, but he actually works for the king. And he stumbles upon Elijah. And he said, Elijah tells Obadiah, go back and tell the king that I'm here. You know what? I do want you to turn to 1 Kings because you've got to see this. You've got to see it. Go to 1 Kings 18 because you're going to highlight this in your Bible. Old Testament is 1 Kings. And it's, um, you get to Judges, Ruth, Samuel, Kings. If you've gone to Chronicles, you've gone way too far. I want you to get to 1 Kings 1.18. 1st Kings, oh, I, no, 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 1st Kings 18, 12. That's where you're going. <laughs> okay, 1st Kings 18, 12. Are you all there with me? <coughs> Almost. I, I don't know about you, but when I see it, it gets me in my heart. 
I mean, somebody can tell me something. When I see it on the page, it jumps into me. So I want you to see this. All right, so Obadiah, um, I'm going to go up. He's, he says, and now you're saying, go and get your master. Behold, Elijah is here. And here's what Obadiah says to him. It will come about when I leave you that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you where I do not know. You see, what was going on with Elijah is the Holy Spirit would just come get him and take him to the next place he needed him. How many of you want to travel like that? Okay, so some of you are saying, well, that's Old Testament. So I'm going to take you to the New Testament. We're going to go into the book of Acts very quickly. I want you to go to Acts 8. And we're going to go to Acts 8, 26. We'll start there. And I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to, again, I'm going to give you the outline. Um, an angel, but an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip gets up, and he goes, just like the Holy Spirit tells him, and he's, he's on his own two legs at this point, and he sees a chariot. And in this chariot is an <coughs> Ethiopian eunuch. Now say that fast three times and see how you do it. <laughs> so there is this Ethiopian eunuch in this chariot. And the Spirit tells Philip to go up to the chariot. And he goes up and the, the guy is reading, again, the scroll of Elijah. Might tell you there's some power in that scroll of Elijah. And he's going up there and he's reading about this lamb being led to slaughter. And the Spirit says to Philip, ask him if he knows what he's reading. So he asks him, and he goes, how could I know what I'm reading? So Philip tells him the whole story about the gospel, about how Jesus was a lamb led to slaughter. So the Ethiopian eunuch says, um, I want to be baptized. So they're, they're going along, and they see the water out there. And let's go to verse um, 38. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Philip as well as a eunuch, and he baptized him. When he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord <coughs> snatched him. I like that. The Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. Now, I did a map search on this. And, you know, we don't know exactly where he caught him when he was going from Jerusalem to Gaza. But the closest point to Azota would be 15 miles, and the furthest point would be 60 miles. And in an instant, you just don't walk in an instant to Azotus. You know, you just don't wake up and find yourself there. So the Spirit had taken Philip to where he needed him next. So then another time is Paul is praying and he says, hey, um, I don't know if I was in my body or out of my body, but I found myself in the third heaven. And then there's John. We see the whole revelation as the Spirit snatched him into the heavens. Now, I want you to go back to, to Luke, where you were. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Go back to the New Testament, right where we were in Luke 4. should have told you to keep your finger there. I want you to see something in a new light. Well, maybe you all know this. But Luke 4, I want you to, to think about this. Jesus um, has been in the wilderness, and in verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. 
I think he was, uh, had a quantum leap to get there. And then in verse 30 where it says, but passing through their midst, he went away. Now you tell me if an angry crowd was getting ready to kill you. I mean, Temple, if I wanted to kill you, you're not passing out of my midst. Do you know what I mean? Because I got my hands around your throat. I'm, I'm going to take you down. But supernaturally, Jesus gets out of that circumstance. Is that powerful? That's amazing. So God is going to um, teach us how to do that today, quantum leaping, through physics. Now before we go there, let me get to my notes where I need to go, we're going to pray. We're going to ask the Lord to get our hearts ready for this, because I think, I think this quantum physics and, and doing what we're going to do today is going to transform you. I think God is going to take you places you've not been, and he's going to take you back to a few places to clean up some stuff and get you back out. Are you ready to go with me? Yeah. Now, I don't want anybody leaving their chairs. So you have to promise me, no, no quantum physics, you're just going to go there in the spirit, okay? All right, so let's get to, to praying. Heavenly Father, gosh, God, we are here to receive what you have for us. Lord, every person in here, every person in here is here because they desire to know you in a way they've never known you before. They're here because they want to be intimate with you. They're here because they know you are the one who does open the eyes of the blind, who does set the captives free. We know that you mend the broken hearts, Lord God. And we are counting on that this weekend. And we aren't counting on a six-month, ten-year exchange. We want quantum leaping in our lives today, Lord. That we were here, we came here today, but when we leave here, we are in use for the service of God to the place you want us to be, to a healthy place that's a place where we get to do ministry and help others live an amazing life, Lord God. I'm asking for supernatural anointing on me that as I speak today, it enters into their hearts like they have never heard it before. And that these women are renewed and set free by your power, by your power, God. We praise you and thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. All right. We're going to go to John 8. Are y'all there? Didn't you have to go too far? Okay. 8-1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a girl caught in adultery. And having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now, the law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, <coughs> He who is out without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. 
Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now and sin no more. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Ladies, I would like for you to go with me now. I want you to close your eyes. And we are going to go on our first quantum leap. We are going to go back to Jerusalem to King Herod's temple. It was a Sabbath day, and Jesus is coming down the steps. And as he comes down the steps, there is this huge courtyard. It's got a dirt floor all over it. And it's got huge walls around it. And as he's been teaching the people, he looks out in the distance, and he sees this mob coming in. And it's men dressed in robes and, and jewels on, and they've got something in their hand. But then he sees something that they are dragging with them. As he gets closer, he can see that it's a woman, a woman that they have beat, and a woman that they are dragging, and she's half-clothed, probably has, a, has an earring in her nose, and maybe a belly button ring, and, and she is crying, she is screaming, she is fighting for her life. And you're an outsider looking in. And as these men throw her at the feet of Jesus, they say, Jesus, we caught this woman in adultery. The law says, Jesus, we should stone her. What do you say, Jesus? Will you open your eyes? As an outsider looking in, and as the accusations are being made, I think I'm seeing myself go, yeah, I think you should stone her. She's a homewrecker. She's an adulteress. <coughs> Look at her life. She's probably been on crack. She's probably been on meth. Yeah, let's get rid of her. One less person in society that's just dragging us down. Jesus says, Jude, get behind me. Get behind me. You don't see her from the same perspective I see her. I can see Jesus going to the woman and saying, I knew you from your mother's womb. I knitted you together there. I saw you when you were a little girl, and you were playing out on the playground, innocent, innocent as could be. I was there the first time that the uncle put the blanket over you and began to fondle you and tell you not to tell anyone. I saw you. I ached for you. I was there when your father left, and you cried, Daddy, Daddy, please don't leave me. I heard your prayer. I was there when your mother started dating man after man. And you were so confused by what a relationship looked like. I was there. I was there when you begged your mom not to marry that man. And I was there when he started sexually abusing you. I love you. I hear 
your cry. And I've come to deliver you. I see myself changing the crowd. I see myself all of a sudden going after the Pharisees and the Sadducees that drug her in. I see myself screaming in their face, who do you think you are? You pompous, arrogant, rich, high-powered, powerful men. Think you can rule this place? Think you can take people down? Who do you think you are? And again, Jesus says to me, June, get behind them. Mm. You judge them from your own perspective. You see, I too was there when they were knitted together in their mother's womb. I was there when they were little boys. And they were sent to, to um, school to learn the Torah. I was there when the, the rabbi slapped him on the hand because he couldn't get the memory verse perfect the first time. I was there when they were taught about giving and sacrificing things that they didn't want to sacrifice. I was there when it was taught to them so legalistic, but there was no love in it. I was there too. I watched their abuse as well. I watched their spiritual abuse. You see, God sees emotional abuse. God sees her physical abuse, her mental abuse, and he hates it because one thing is it causes so much fear and pain. But on the flip side, you guys, God sees the other side of the, the spiritual abuse because he knows that it's even greater than the physical because the spiritual abuse causes so much pride and unbelief. I want you to turn with me to Hebrews 11.1. believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You see, when we are spiritually abused, we don't seek God. We seek methods. We seek um, our own, uh, if I just do it this way, this way, this way, we become our own God. And God says, I hate spiritual abuse because it causes such unbelief in who I am. But ladies, I want to tell you that I think there are two really major um, spiritual abuses that are going on in the church today. One of the spiritual abuses that is going on in the church today is this false humility. This false humility that says, oh, I can't do that. Oh, God wouldn't answer that prayer. Oh, who am I to even ask God? The other day I was in a prayer group. And um, we were talking about God. And this lady who was probably about 60 years old said, you know, I don't even ask God. I don't even pray about myself to God. Because I think that the world is so big and there's so much out there that's so bad that I just feel bad about even asking him to, to do something that's simple for me. And I said, I, I, I tried to be as nice as I possibly could. But I go, I have never agreed with anything more in my entire life. I said, I serve a really big God. 
And if I can't ask my God for healing, if I can't ask my God to, to provide for me financially, if I can't go to my God as my Father, my Abba, and ask Him those things, then what good is my faith? She goes, I just guess I never thought of it like that. Well, then start believing in a really big God, I said. But you see, here's our problem, ladies. God says in James, he says, don't even come to me in prayer if you're not going to believe for it. He says, if you're not going to come believing and asking that I'm going to answer that prayer, then don't you dare even come to me because you are like a wave that's just going to, you're going to get tossed to and fro. You're not going to get that prayer answered. You know, many of us, many of us go to God like this. I'm going to cut aside here a minute, and I'm, just, I'm going to give you a little prayer lesson. Is that all right with you? Well, see, we go, to, we go to prayer like this. Oh, Jesus, if you could just heal my grandmother from her cold. Nope. Jesus, if you could just, um, you know, we got some financial issues, and I know I don't deserve it, but if you could please just, um, just, just pay our bills this month. Gosh, I appreciate it. No. The reason God is not going to answer that prayer is because you say, if you could. God says, absolutely nothing is impossible with me. And he says, if you're going to come to me, then you better believe that I am who I am. And ladies, if you have been abused in here, if you have had hurt in here, and you want to be set free in here, then you take authority. Then you are the one who has the authority to, in the name of Jesus, get rid of things. But also, I want to show you how to cast, and not even cast out, but how to, to pray an effective prayer life. First of all, you go before the Lord and you praise Him. You acknowledge who He is. And then, it, as it says, um, he told Moses, he goes, you come before me and you state your case. And Isaiah says it two times. He says, you come before me and you state your case. Well, you know how you're going to state your case? You're going to know the word of God. Moses went to him and, and God said, I'm going to kill the people. And Moses said, no, you aren't. You can't kill the people because here's what you promised me. And if you, I go back there and these people are dead, they're going to think I serve a worthless God. Amen? So people, that's how our hearts should be. We should be able to go before God and stand on this word of God because didn't we understand last night that every word in here has the power to perform itself? Amen. So if you are somebody who has been abused or you have a situation in your life that will not heal, I'm, I'm going to give you a little, uh, just a prayer that what it might look like. Let's say you were abused. Father God, I come before you, and I know that your name is above all names. I know that you are the king of this universe. I know that you are my savior, and you're my God. I know that when I went into this relationship, that you promised to provide for me, to protect me, and to be intimate with me. I know that is my promise. Lord God, you saw my pain. You know my hurts. You were there when such and such and such happened. But your word says that you will restore what the locust has eaten. And Lord God, your word also says that if we catch a thief, and we have caught a thief, it has stolen my integrity, it has stolen my purity, it has stolen my innocence, then you say that that thief must retain me sevenfold. Do you want it? Do you believe for it? Do you believe that your life can be better than it ever was before any of that ever happened to you? Let's have an amen. Amen. 
trusting in you, and I'm believing in you. Ladies, he knows all of our abuses, and he knew theirs. And then Jesus kneels down, and he writes in the sand. He draws a line in the sand, but it says he wrote in the sand. That word wrote means old writings. We're going back to the Torah. We're going back to the Tanakh. That's what these Pharisees and these Sadducees would have known. Now, we do not know exactly what he wrote that day in the sand, but I think, based on circumstantial evidence, that we will have a pretty good idea what he wrote. And I am going to believe that he wrote something like 2 Samuel 12.1. You don't need to turn there. I promise you this time you don't need to turn there. I'm going to tell you the story. Nathan is a prophet. He comes to King David. You know the one that was ripped, or the one that was worshiping naked? That guy? Naked? That guy? And this Nathan comes to King David. Now King David, um, he comes to him and he says, King David, we got an issue in the kingdom. He says, you see, there is this rich man and there is this poor man. Now the rich man has many flocks and sheep and anything that he wants. And the poor man, he has nothing except for one sheep that he loves so much. And he holds that sheep in his bosom. His, his kids play with it. It meant everything to him. Now the rich man, a, a traveler came into town. And the rich man wanted to sacrifice and, and feed this man. So he said, King David, the rich man took the one sheep of the poor man. And King David said, that is horrible. That is disgusting. We're going to kill him. And Nathan says to the king, it's you. He judged according to his own perspective instead of God's perspective. It was him. King David had taken a man's wife in, in adultery. Many of you know that story. And then had her husband killed. He says, you judge yourself. Ladies, the reason I believe that that may have been something that God would have written that day is i got to go back to John and show you why. It's because he's saying, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw the stone. In other words, he is saying to them, if you, if you have no sin and you think that you can judge her, then go right ahead. I want you to see Romans 12, 2. This one I do want you to turn to. Romans 2, 1. I know, my mind is racing here. Romans 2, 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same thing. And you see, God has given a physical principle, a, 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 um, a quantum physics principle here. You see, God is saying the reason I don't want you to judge people is because he understands physics. He understands waves. He understands that when you speak something out of your mouth, a wave, a sound wave comes out of your mouth. And that wave, you, you've all seen sound waves in science, goes like this, right? And that sound wave will keep going until it hits something. And then when it hits something, what does it do? It comes right back. Now, how many of you know about echoes? So you, you yell into a canyon, and what happens? 
Comes back. Does it come back once? No, it comes back many times. I'm always reminded this is such a picture for me in judging or speaking ill of other people or whatever is because of this sound wave principle. It's a law. It's a physical law that is also a spiritual law in our universe. And so what gives me this picture is, um, have you guys seen Jim Carrey? in the Grinch, <laughs> and he's in the cave, you know, and he's sitting there and he's all miserable, and he screams out into the cave and he goes, you're an idiot! And the sound wave comes back, you know, and you're thinking, yeah. you're an, and the sound wave says, you're an idiot! Instead of, I'm an idiot, I'm an idiot, I'm an idiot, I'm an idiot! Yep, you're an idiot! And I'm like, that is so God to, to give you a picture because that's exactly how it is in the physical. When you speak something out over somebody, it comes back to you, and not just once, but several times. And God is saying to you and me today, we cannot judge because we don't have the perspective. Now, we can judge a wrong act. Don't get me wrong on this. I mean, we can look at things that are not godly in the Bible, uh, like the sexual sins that are going on, okay? We can judge um, homosexuality and things like that, knowing that they are wrong. But we can't judge the person. Do you see the difference? Mm -hmm. That's God's job. We, we can judge what they're doing. We can't judge that, that person. All right. Now, I believe there's another reason in each one of our lives that God wants to show us something profound about sound waves, about physics. And that is not just in sound waves, but in water waves. In water waves are, are interesting. You see, a water wave will get going, and it will not stop unless another object comes against it. In fact, this doesn't surprise Jesus, because Jesus was there when the Holy Spirit whispered into Sir Isaac Newton's ear the law of motion. And that law is motion will stay in motion unless an exterior force comes against it. So what I want to say to you guys is each one of you in here has probably had an event in your life that has caused a sound wave, that has caused a wave to come up and it began this wave. And the best way I'm going to describe this is a tsunami. Now I had this planned way before Japan, okay? But I thought, wow, this is such a great analogy because this is fresh with you guys. So what happens is there's an earthquake. Now that's going to be some shaking of your life. There's some event that has happened in your life, whether it's a teacher has said something about you, or, or maybe a, um, you've had you know, the abuse, or a bad relationship breakup, or friendships, or whatever. There has been an earthquake in your life, and it's caused a paradigm shift. And just like on the ocean floor, when there is a paradigm shift, what happens is the paradigm shift on the ocean floor begins this wave. Now you can't see it. When you're out in the middle of the ocean, you can't see the tsunami coming. But this wave starts coming up from under the ocean and it begins to rise, but the human eye really cannot see this. And if that wave is not stopped out and see, that wave will come in until it has an external force against it. And usually that force is a city, it's buildings, it's people, it's land. Do you see what I'm saying? So in your own life, if there has been this paradigm <coughs> shift and you have judged it from your own perspective, now catch this. You're going to catch this in spirit. So you've had an event in your life and it has changed you. It begins this wave and you begin the judging from your own perspective and you don't get God's perspective on it, this thing will take you out. 
It will ruin your family. It will ruin your future. It will ruin all the relationships that you have. Are you starting to see the picture? Because you judge it in your own perspective. Now, we're going to stop that this weekend. I want you to take out the center of your um, book. There is an event that we're going to do. We're not going to actually do it right now, but we're going to do it um, when we leave here. I'm going to have you spend 30 minutes doing this. But I want you to look at it when I'm talking about it, all right? So I want you, after we're done here today, you're going to go outside and you're going to spend 30 minutes with the Lord. And you're going to remember back to a time that there was an event in your life that you can't seem to get over. Now, if you've had an event in your life and you've been healed of it, I don't want you going back there, okay? I don't want you going back there. And this could be as simple as an argument you had with somebody yesterday. Or it could be as major as a, an addiction or a, a something that, major trauma, death, um, something that's happened to you that you can't seem to break out of. And you know it's holding you down, all right? So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to name that event. What was the event that caused the paradigm shift, all right? And then you're going to say, who do you blame for that? Who do you blame for that? That couldn't be yourself. But who do you blame for that? I prefer it. I, well, it doesn't matter. Whoever you blame for that, put it down. And then, this is the only time I'm ever going to let you judge anybody, okay? You're going to judge them. And because I need to prove a point. You're going to write down 20 things about that person that you cannot stand. They're mean. They're ugly. They, they cheat. They lie. They're deceptive. They're um, arrogant. They're boastful. They're proud. Okay, so see, I've already named several. But you're going to name characteristics, 20 characteristics of that person that you cannot stand. Now see, what that's going to do to you is begin your wave. And you're probably actually going to get a little angry while you're writing it down, okay? You're going to get a little bit as you get through those 20 characteristics. And that's coming from your perspective. So now the only way to get your wave slowed down is to get an external object coming against it. And that external object now is going to be the Word of God, all right? So we're going to start seeing it through God's perspective, okay? So what you're going to do in the next line is you're going to write the initials of the person who sees you exactly like that. Okay, you judged. So now you're going to see who sees you like that. And some of you in here are going to say, I have never abused anybody. And I'm going to say to you, really? Have you never desired your wants and your ways over somebody else's? Have you never been selfish? Have you never been angry? So you're going to write in the initials, and it can't be your mother every single time. Okay? <laughs> you're going to write in the initials of the person that sees you that way. Then in the last line, you're going to say, how did their bad behavior actually benefit me? How did them being angry actually benefit me in my life now? Well, it could be that it, it makes you never want to be angry. It could be that you have more patience with your kids. Their anger has done something positive in your life. Okay, are you following the picture? Okay, then in the next line, you are going to write 20 positive characteristics about this person you blame. And the first thing you're going to say is, I cannot do that. There is not one darn good thing about that person. And I'm telling you that I just, I can't do that. I can't find 20 things about them. Oh, yes, you can. Do you know there are 4,000 characteristics that God has given each one of us? 
And I'm telling you right now, I'll give you the first one that's a good characteristic. He is, or she is created in the image and in the likeness of God. So you are going to find 20 characteristics of that person, okay? And then you're going to write in the initials, who sees you like that? And again, it cannot be your mother every single time. And then you're going to say, now, how is that actually a negative? How is that positive thing actually a negative to me? Because see, what happens, like let's say for example somebody comes in the room and they are really dynamic and man, they are upbeat and they are so great and everybody in the room is just, they got so much charisma, everybody just loves them. Well, how's that a negative to you? It's probably making you feel a little insecure, right? It's probably making you feel a little bit bad about yourself. If somebody comes in and they're such a great dresser or they're, or, or they're smart, it probably makes you feel a little bit dumb. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay, so what, those pro what that's doing is it's giving <coughs> your perspective that's coming up here and going to wipe out your life to God's perspective coming into it. Actually, what you're going to be doing is taking the speck out of your own life. Because what waves do is this, ladies. Waves come like this. They are sent forth, and you're sending forth the wave, okay? And then another wave comes forth, but they don't actually stop each other. The waves actually go through one another like this, and then they go out. Have you ever been to Lake Powell or been on a lake where the, the waves of a motorboat go crashing up against the walls? And they crash up, and then the next wave right behind them crashes up, and what they're actually doing is they're stopping and going out. And stopping and going out. And what this is doing is those waves are coming in and going out until finally the water is totally smooth. The Greeks have a name for this, and it, it's called aphiomi. Now, I always remember it just saying off of me, okay? But it's called aphiomi. But in our English language, it's forgiveness. It literally means to send forth, send away, let go from oneself. So today, ladies, we are going to aphiomi your event in your life. We're going to go with total forgiveness. Now, it's really important after this that you do that because you are actually going to bring that back tonight. And we've got something really amazing to do with that um, sheet, okay? So as God is, is writing in the sand and explaining to them, and this is my own, I'm in my own quantum physics leap here. He's explaining to them. He's telling them, you guys, I don't want either side to judge because it's going to be so dangerous to you and it's going to ruin your life. Now, guys, when you're done with this, if you can throw a stone at that person, then you go ahead. I mean, you take them out. You get your gun. You shoot them dead, okay? If you can see no fault in yourself or anything that you have ever done wrong in your life, then you are free by me to take them out. And that's really what Jesus is saying to them. If you can throw a stone at her, take them out. And one by one, they begin dropping the stones. Jesus bends down again, and he writes in the sand. And I believe this time, based on the circumstantial evidence, he might have written something like Joshua 18, 2, and 3. Again, don't turn there. I'm going to tell you the story. You see, there are the promised land has been given to the Israelites. And Joshua comes because there are seven tribes that have never entered into the promised land. And he says to them, how long before you take your promised land? 
God has given you this. It's yours to take. How long before you're going to take your promised land? And he says to them, I want you to go in there and I want you to write it down. Go in there and tell me what you want. And then come back to me and we're going to draw lots for it. Ladies, this is what he's saying to you and me here today as Jesus writes in the sand. He goes, some of you have stayed in that past for so long that you have never gone into your promised land. You don't even know what you want. You're so used to being depressed or oppressed or, or hanging on to the past that you've never even gone into what I have to offer you. And he says, I want you to write it down. Go tell me what you want. Jay and I have followed this practice from the first day or first year we were ever married. On January 1st, every year, we sat down and we write on paper what we want our promised land to look like. We divide it into financial, spiritual, and um, financial, spiritual, and family. And I can go back over the years and I can take out all of the things that we um, set our purpose in and prayed about and wrote down and asked God for. And I am telling you, we have taken a ton of promised land, but I know that we have not taken it all. And I want to encourage all of you to start writing down what you want. What does your life want to look like? Where do you want to go? Because God has given you that in your heart, so let him direct it to where you want to go. And here is my point on this, ladies. God said in the Bible that they were to have 300,000 square miles of promised land. Write that down. 300,000. I want you to write it S slash M. 300,000 square miles of promised land. Do you know how much the Israelites have ever taken? 10%. 30,000 square miles. They have never taken any more than that. Now the reason that I believe that this is where God is taking them is because of his very next line where he says, I am the light. I am the light. He's given a quantum physics term. I am the light. Ladies, do you think this is a coincidence that light travels at 300,000 kilometers per second? I want you to write it down. 300,000 M slash S.
piece of the laws of physics. It can be in two places at one time. It can bend. It's got dual personality. Life is unbelievable, and, and scientists are using it to heal constantly. You guys, what Jesus is saying here is, I am 300,000 kilometers per second of absolute phenomenon. How much are you going to take of me? I want you to close your eyes. I want you to go back to the center court. But this time, you are the one in the middle. And your life is on the line. And Jesus bows down to you. And he says, stand up. He says, who condemns you? Do you say no one, Lord? She called him master. She knew he was the light. She knew he was the one. And as Jesus stands there to you and says, who condemns you? Can you say no one? And I believe he's coming to each one of you today. And he's saying, what do you need?